The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom, coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day that you have given us. We thank you also for the the time and the change of seasons that we get to see and enjoy, just as we heard in your call to worship this morning, that you have made all things, every world you created, and even the change of seasons comes because of your hand in this world that you have made. We thank you and we give praise to you. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. We pray that you would be with us today in our worship, that as we sing praises to you, as we listen, as your word is proclaimed, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, apply your word to us that we might hear and believe and confess before you that you are the living God and there is no other. Lord, we pray that you would give us attentive hearts, that we might be able to pay attention, that the distractions of our own lives and this world around us would not cause us to set aside the gospel today. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith. And we join our hearts together as one voice and pray out loud together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. 
This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Since this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear saints, hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Psalms, chapter 31, verses 23 and 24. O love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by turning in your hymnal to number 457 as we sing together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
see you all. Thank you. Well, I wanted to uh, speak with you this morning. I wanted to follow up on another verse that comes just after the one we talked about last week. And I wanted to ask you, and parents, forgive me, uh, I wanted to ask you, if someone struck you in the face, they took their fist and hit you in the face, what is your first response? Just be honest. Don't do that. Agreed. Agreed. Somebody else. Punch them back in the face. Let me read this verse before I say anything else. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. I want to ask you this morning, uh, children, boys and girls, is it right to get even with people who hurt us? No. Yes. <laughs> Unequivocal no, and then some slight yeses. Yes. Is it right to get even? No. The Bible says an eye for an eye and a, a, a tooth for a tooth, right? But Jesus said if they, if they take your, your cloak, then give them your tunic also. If they want to hit you on one cheek, turn and give them the other. Does that mean that you should be a, a godly doormat for people to walk all over? Absolutely not. The Bible says that we are to, to be very careful about our actions, but especially about our reactions. And if someone does something wrong to us, we are not to return evil for evil. We are to believe that God is the judge of all people who we just read about says that he will repay those who do evil things. No, you shouldn't not defend yourself, but you shouldn't be so quick to do that that you're willing to hurt other people simply because they did something awful to you. This world is filled with sinful people, and you are going to be hurt sometimes. But it is to be in the heart of God's people, to be willing to give forgiveness, to be willing to love others, and to be willing to look over wrong, particularly from one another in the church. Did you know that there's a, a verse in the Bible that says, love will cover a multitude of sins? I'm not preaching to you that you should just love everybody and especially those that hurt you. The Bible says you're actually supposed to pray for those who hurt you and spitefully use you. So I want to pray for you this morning. I think this is something difficult that even us adults have difficulty. How do I apply this in my life? So I'm going to pray for you uh, that the Lord would give you wisdom to know when to defend yourself and when to be able to look over an offense. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your perfect word that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us apply even the difficult principles of Scripture in our lives. And I pray that for our covenant children here this morning who know that you have called us to be a witness not only to a watching world but also within the church. Lord, help us when we are hurt. Help us when things happen that that really go down deep into our soul and pierce our hearts. Help us, Lord, when people that we love, who we call friends, even hurt us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to have a spirit of revenge in us. And I pray that you'd help our children to know when to defend and when to overlook. Lord, I pray that you would help them in the midst of this world that we live in to know that they also live as lights in the darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you would use them, use their words, use their witness, Use their actions to show forth the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.
This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnals. We're going to read page uh, 787, Psalm 11. Page 787, Psalm 11. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. Let's stand together now and turn in your hymnal to page 464 as we sing together, I Was a Wandering Sheep.
For our pastoral prayer time this month, we are praying for Robbie and Murray Lathrop, who are serving the Lord as missionaries that we financially support in Lakeland, Florida. We want to pray for them and their ministry this morning. And I also wanted to pray for us as God's people, particularly this morning in the ministry of the word in just a few moments, that the Lord would open our hearts, that we might hear and receive the truth from his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you that we may come to your throne of grace, that we might find grace to help and mercy in time of need. Lord, we come to you as your people who need your cleansing power. We need you to fill us with your spirit that we would walk in your ways. And we thank you, Lord, for this special Lord's Day. Each day of the week, you give us opportunity to commune with you in our homes, at our kitchen table, in the office, at work, outside, in the creation that you have made. But you have set aside this day, a special day, one in seven, that is to be holy unto you. We pray, Lord, that as we have gathered as your people, that you would open our hearts and our minds as we come to your word in a moment. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be deceived, that there wouldn't be cloudiness or fog that would block our eyes or our hearts from seeing and hearing the truth. Lord, we pray that where you work in our hearts, where there is conviction of sin, we pray that that would have its perfect work in us. Not only that we would have a sense of guilt before a holy God, but that we would turn to you in faith and repentance, that you might cleanse our hearts, that you would call us to yourself, and that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would walk in new obedience before you. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who may not know you, who have an association with the things of God because of growing up in the church or being around it, but in their hearts and in their lives, they do not know you. Lord, I pray that you would make today the day of salvation for them. Call them to yourself. And if any of us, as we just sang twice this morning, actually, if any of us are wandering sheep, I pray, Lord Jesus, our good, faithful shepherd, Draw us back into the fold. And Lord, I pray for those in our church family and in our midst who maybe are wandering, that you would draw their hearts back to you, that you would help them to remember the promises that they heard and were taught by your people. Lord, I pray that you would use promises of goodness and love and mercy to woo them back to you. And Lord, I do lift up to you, Robbie and Murray Lathrop, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling them to serve you and the special work that they are doing in Lakeland. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them even now as we pray, that you would encourage their hearts in the work that you have given them to do. I'm sure that many days there is more work than there are hours to accomplish it. And I pray that they would not be overwhelmed with the amount of work they have in front of them. And Lord, I pray too in the midst of to-do lists and things that need to be attended to, that they would also have reserved in their hearts a special care to share the gospel with those around them. Help them, Lord, to not be so task-focused that they don't think about the souls around them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them help in their work, that their load would be lightened, that they would see other partners in the ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would protect them from attacks from the evil one, who would cause them to think that what they're doing really doesn't matter much, that it's not for the sake of eternity. Lord, fill their hearts with hope because you promised that what you set out to do, you will accomplish in their work. 
Lord, I pray now as we uh, turn to your word in a few moments, speak, Lord, your servants listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Hallie and Chuck. I want to invite you to open your Bibles now to the Old Testament book of Amos, chapter 2. This morning we're going to be reading Amos chapter 2, verses 4 through 16. Amos chapter 2, verses 4 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, 
for three transgressions of Judah and for four. I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of condemned of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down by you, as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Recalling the Covenant. Amos continues the oracles against the nations and turns in this passage to God's people, to the land of Judah and the land of Israel. Last week he spoke out against the sins of foreign nations that surrounded Israel because they had broken God's moral and natural laws. You remember in one of the oracles it says that they basically had sold people into slavery, treated people as if they were goods and merchandise to do with what they pleased, to sell them, to buy them, to exchange them, to kill them if they would like, to do whatever was at their will to do. And he says, because of those sins, and because of three or four, the cup of my wrath has been filled, and I will judge you. And perhaps those in Judah and Israel thought, well, we shall pop the popcorn and get our comfortable chairs. We have front row seats to God crushing our enemies, not noticing that as he named each of the nations around Israel, he got closer and closer to home. And in this passage today, Amos takes a breath, pauses, and then continues with God's oracles against his own people. Amos follows the same pattern in this passage that he did in all the others. Thus says the Lord, he begins. This is not my message, he says. This is a word from the Almighty Creator God. And then he says again, for three transgressions or for four. He's saying, it's not a matter of three or four. It is sin upon sin. The transgressions have been so egregious, I must 
punish people for the injustice before me. And he lists out their sins. And then he promises judgment because of them. Fire and destruction. And you might notice that the punishment listed for Judah and Israel is the same as the other nations. There is no partiality with God. And actually the severity of punishment upon his people here clearly shows the words of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. That the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? This morning as we look at this passage, it is a grave text. And this message of the the prophet Amos is a grave message. It was not popular then, and I imagine it's not very popular this morning. Judgment from God. Judgment upon His people. Are you serious? Upon us. We have God's grace. We've been given salvation because of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can this be a message for us today? And I have prayed this week, and your elders have prayed for you this morning, that you would hear the Word of God, that we as God's people would hear His Word. It is timeless and unchanging. This morning as we look at this passage, I want to do so under three specific headings. First, sins against grace. Number two, the abuse of grace. And lastly, the judgment pronounced. Number one, sins against grace. You notice in this passage, as you think about what he said to the nation of Judah, says that they despise the law of the Lord. This is different than what he says to any other nation as he's speaking to his people. They knew God because of his natural revelation, because he had spoken to them through creation and in their consciences. And he looks to his people and he says, I am coming to judge you because I gave you my word and you despised it. To have the word of God is a special privilege. I do mean specifically the Bible. But for God to have revealed himself to you is a special privilege as a son or daughter of his, a child of the covenant. It's not an object to own as though if you put it out on your coffee table or your desk, that it will somehow keep spirits away. Or that you can expect that if anyone sees it, they know you're spiritual and so they won't bring up any spiritual conversations. He says, my word is not an object to own. It's not a charm to put about your neck or on a bracelet. It is to exemplify in you and show you a lifestyle of grace, of living after the covenant, of surrendering your will to me, your choices and your priorities. And he says, because I have given it to you and I have chosen you out of all the people of the earth, you are certainly not exempt from accountability before me. Not only had they transgressed God's moral and natural law in creation and in their hearts, that the book of Romans chapter 2, 15 says, even the Gentiles know this. Even the people who don't have the covenants, the promises, the priesthood, the temple, and the sacrifices, they know that God exists because He has shown Himself. He has manifest Himself to them, Romans 1. And yet He says, You, my people, have sinned willingly against my divinely revealed Word, my sacred gift to you, to show you what I am like. And this is a sobering passage of Scripture. 
A sobering section of God's word spoken through Amos. It's as if, according to Revelation chapter 20, the books are opened before the throne of God, the great judge of all people, of every tribe and tongue and nation. And as the books are opened, their sins are on display. They are naked before God. No excuses, no equivocation, and he lists them out for the people to hear. It's as if someone was videotaping their life and even the motives of their heart. Do you see the the laser precision that God uses with his people in this passage? He says to Judah, you have decided, you've taken it upon yourself to make God in your own image and believe that you can have God on your own terms. He says, you have broken my law to Judah and to Israel. And remember, the law of God is simply what he has shown us to walk in, his instructions that he's given to us. It also does mean the Ten Commandments, what he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai when the people were gathered at the base of the mountain. And as you look at this passage, you can't help but notice all the commandments that they have broken. All the specific ways that God said, don't do this, and the people did it. It's as if the book of Romans is is coming true right before our eyes. That unless the law had been given, sin would not have increased, but as soon as it did, it abounded in his people. He says, you despise the law of God in verse 4. They rejected God himself. They rejected his word. That's clearly a violation of the first commandment. You have not kept his commandments. That's a violation of the third commandment. They vowed his name in vain when Moses came and spoke to the people. And they said, please don't let God speak to us anymore. You just go talk to him and whatever you say and whatever he says, we'll do. And God said to Moses during that time, after he had given the law, he said, Oh, that my people would have a heart to follow me and keep my commandments. That they would walk in my ways and have a heart of obedience toward me. And here we see the sinfulness of man. They vowed, yes, we will obey. Yes, we will do all that you command us to do. And they've walked away from that vow and commitment It also says that their lies led them astray. The the specific Hebrew word here is is not just meant for telling a lie or bearing false witness, as we see in the ninth commandment, but also they completely walked away from the truth. And this is a, a special word in Hebrew that also means that they chased after other gods. They went after other things and made them the ultimate thing in their life. That if I can't have this, life has no meaning. If I can't have this, it's not worth being here anymore. Rather than that being God in their life and their personal relationship with him, they made life about something else, about themselves entirely. Then he turns to the nation of Israel, characterized by rampant materialism, unbothered indifference to the needs of others, An extreme perversion that had no limits. As God's word says, they forgot how to blush in his presence. In verse 6, he says, they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. What he means here is you willingly take people and sell them into slavery. You willingly do it. You do it by such simple debts. Can you imagine someone buying a pair of sandals? And needing to borrow for it. Obviously they're poor. 
And the person who they had borrowed from comes and says, I need that money for that pair of sandals that you bought. And he says, well, I don't have it. Could you give me some time? And they say, no. How would you like to suffer in slavery and pay for it that way? Well, no, I'd, I'd really rather not. And he says, well, too bad. And does it anyway. One commentator said that this is the type of debt that someone would simply usually be willing to write off. And yet God's people treating one another this way say, no. I won't write this off. It must be paid. In verse 7 he says, you pant after the dust of the earth. This can also mean that you, you trample and crush the poor under your feet. It's as if you're walking out in your yard. You would never look down and notice, oh, there's some dust. I'll step to the side and not walk in it. You would never do that. You just keep on walking and going. And that's the idea, the mentality he says that my people have. They see the poor around them and they don't even simply notice. They don't step over them. They just crush them into the bits of the ground beneath their feet. They violated at least the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. They saw the poor as a means to an end. Someone to just run over. In verse 7 it says you pervert the way of the humble. You prevent the, even the poor people from being able to get justice. You make it impossible for them to make it in this world with the ways that you are living. Your materialism has so gripped your heart you don't even see it. That you're willing to hurt other people and crush them simply so you can get another dollar in your pocket. And so you can go to the store and buy something that your idolatrous heart has run after. And these aren't messages to the nations. These aren't the messages to the pagans. This is a message to God's people. And then the awful, awful words. In verse 7. A man and his father go in and have the same girl. This is temple prostitution. It was a Canaanite practice. And I read and I wanted to draw attention to this. It's not a big topic with Amos. But any time a person or a culture can devalue womanhood to the place that she is nothing more than an object to them, you know their heart is far from God. You know that that's true. You cannot traffic in human sexuality. You cannot traffic in people without hating God. It's just simply true. And he's preaching this message to God's people. This is not a message to the culture. He's not saying you should stand on the hilltops and shout against the culture you live in. He says, judgment begins with the household of God. Can you imagine what kind of family life this must be for a dad to go to his son and say, come on, son, we're going to church. Tell your mom we're going to leave. Don't worry about your sisters. They're not going to come today. We're going and we are going to have fun. We're going to give full ourselves fully over to the pleasures that we desire. How is that even possible? How could we participate in that as God's people? And yet it's rampant in our culture. And God forbid it's rampant in our homes. You can do this with devices. You can do this with your body. You can do this with your neighbors. And it's not very much talked about. 
But God forbid that we would think that if we can hide it from our neighbors sitting beside us, that we can hide it from the living God. Our sins should break our hearts as God's people of all people. He says that you lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge in verse 8. And God gave specific instructions right at Mount Sinai about this. He told God's people, if you treat the poor among you, meaning poor in your own midst, poor among my people, if you treat them this way, if you take a garment in pledge because they are poor, you have to give it back at night. Because what else would your neighbor, your covenant family member, wear when they go to sleep? This is their outer garment. It's what kept them the, the chill off at night. And they're so poor that that's what they have to keep warm. They don't have plenty of closets of blankets or other clothes to put on. This is their most prized possession regarding being able to stay warm and look dignified in public. And he says, you take it in pledge. You go beyond my law and you keep it overnight. And what do you do with it? You lay beside the altar and fornicate in my presence. They forgot how to blush in God's presence. Can you imagine this happening in the temple? Can you imagine this happening in church? And God says to his people, it is, and it ought not to be. He says, you drink the wine of the condemned, so you have stolen things and bribed things from other people, and you come into my house and you consume them in my presence. You have defiled the house of the living God with your practices. No wonder God says to his people, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How could you look at each other this way? How could you treat one another this way? You are brothers and sisters in the Lord. These things ought not to be. With our mouth we bless our God and Father and with our mouth we curse our brothers and sisters. James says, He says, you have sinned against grace, against my grace. They have shaped worship to suit me, the almighty me. I'm in charge myself. I need to realize who I am. I need an opportunity to express who I am. And we see this taking place in our culture. And I'm speaking about the church. And no wonder there are whole denominations that are fighting. And some of them no longer fighting. They are out of the fight. They have decided that what the word of God says regarding who should orderly preach the word of God, that it's okay that anybody who wants to stand up and preach can, that the words that God says about it being a man that he has called and gifted that God's people have recognized and called, there are whole denominations say now, it's okay, a woman can be the pastor, a woman can preach, that God doesn't have any order, what his word says doesn't actually matter, it's okay, And we are fighting that battle in our own denomination right now. Will we obey the word of God? Did he give it to us on purpose or did he not? That's the question that is raging in our hearts every day as we struggle with sin. Has God really said? That is an old question. You know it from the book of Genesis. Has God really said? Does he really mean it? Does it really matter if I disobey him? They shaped worship to suit themselves. They sold out entirely to themselves, to stuff, 
It was more important to them to have things, to enjoy them, to bribe them out of one another. One another that who they would say we are in covenant with. They would walk all over one another as dust under their feet. And they would have cold indifference to the needs of others. They could simply see it and walk away and hide their face. And be unchanged. They were experiencing corruption at every level of society. The judges and their officials had no uprightness. Otherwise, how could someone just keep a garment in pledge? How would it be possible? They took bribes. They stole wine. They stole clothes. They stole other people's property. They treated one another as if they were pagans. And even the level of their church life, that only in name were they truly Christians, if that at all. They did not walk with God. They did not own His Word. And in the family, and I won't read it again, the abuses and the disregard for God and how they treated one another and the image of God being denigrated in the life of the family and in worship. To have the word of God and not obey is spiritually dangerous ground. To profess that one belongs to God. If you say, I'm a Christian, in our tradition, you are saying That God chose me. God changed me. He took out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. You're not saying I chose Jesus. You're saying Jesus chose me when you name the name of Christ. You're saying I belong to him because he saved me. So to have his word and then not live a life in line with that word under submission to the word of God. Not be constrained by it. It's not keeping you in line. Is to be a walking contradiction. It defies the logic of Scripture. And there is no warrant in the Scriptures for assurance of salvation for that kind of life practice. That's what the Word of God says. Praise the Lord for the means of grace that He gives His people. Corporate worship. The preaching of the Word of God. The reading of the Word of God. Singing. And his kind warnings to examine ourselves as we come to his table in a couple of weeks. Praise the Lord for that reminder. It's not a tradition in the PCA. It is instruction from the word of God that when you come to this table, that you examine your heart. Not that you try to work up a repentant feeling. Or I should be sorrowful because it's a special Sunday. But you are standing before the living God. Am I in Christ or am I not? That's why we pause every Lord's Supper and ask you, turn your heart to the Lord and repent of your sins. It's an opportunity to stand in His presence, to take part of the means of grace. Otherwise, you walk away saying, well, I participated in communion today. Not only did I go to church, I got communion. I must be one of God's special people. So they sinned against grace. But we notice in this passage as it continues that they abused God's grace too. This is a God like no other. He is not the God of the Amorites or the Canaanites. He is a God who works for His people. Isaiah 64 verse 4. He says, I worked for you. I worked for you. Is there any other religion in the world that says that? That God works for His people? I know of none. And yet he says here in verse 9, I destroyed the Amorite before you, not your armies. 
I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I led you 40 years through the wilderness. It wasn't Moses. I did it. I was the good shepherd following you, protecting you. That's why he gave them the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. To remind them that God is in your midst. He is not gone. He has not left. The things that you do, that you think, that you say, the way that you treat one another. All of these things are done, not in a vacuum, but in God's presence. I delivered you. I redeemed you from bondage. And this is like one of the taglines in Scripture. Whenever you hear, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, you should remember, God did a wonderful work, not because His people are special, but for His glory, He redeemed them out of bondage out of Egypt. And you should draw a straight line between that and say, He delivers us from our sins out of bondage to them. You can do nothing to get out of sin. You can't stop And you might be able to change your behavior for a little while. You might be able to modify it for a bit. But apart from God's grace, you can't change the desires of your heart. And God is saying, I brought you up out of that bondage. I delivered you from slavery to sin. To be my people, a special people of all the earth, that I might be glorified. And he looks at them and says, I just judged all the nations around you. And here I am standing at your doorstep. And he calls them as witnesses against themselves. Is it not so, Israel? Would you disagree, he says. And they can't. They hang their heads. No, Lord, you are exactly right. And I wonder, had they forgotten God? Is that why he takes a moment? He does something different for Israel than he did for any other nation. He says, I did all these things for you. Had they forgotten Had they not handed down the stories? Had they not told one generation to the next about the faithfulness of God and His gracious hand and His wonderful covenant to His people? Had they forgotten God? Like Josiah the king in 2 Kings chapter 22, as they were going through the items in the temple, someone was checking some books and they came and they found a book of the law and they came to Josiah the king and they said, we took care of all the other stuff you said to do, but here's this book of the law. It's covered in dust, but we thought we might better read it to you. And they read it to Josiah, the king. And he tore his clothes and he wept before God. And he said, gather God's people, gather the Levites and the elders. We need to repent before God. We have not kept his laws. We have squandered our blessings. We have berated God's covenant and not loved one another the way that we should. Had they forgotten God, God had warned them that this might happen. He warned them they might forget. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, listen how God defines forgetting Him. Because they, that you do not, excuse me, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. And then He says what forgetting Him means. By not keeping His commandments. It doesn't mean you don't know the Bible stories. It doesn't mean that you couldn't tell the flannel graph on your own with your hand tied behind your back and one eye covered. It means, do you know the Lord? Have you forgotten Him? If you have forgotten Him, it means you're no longer walking in His ways. You're not obeying Him. Jeremiah 18, verse 15, Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. 
He's saying that walking away from God simply never happens in a vacuum. You can't walk away from God's Word, treasuring it, loving it, reading it, memorizing it in your heart, spending time in it in your day, and writing it on note cards, and putting it on mirrors, or on your, on your front dash. You can't just simply walk away from that, and then maybe in six months I'll pick it back up when it's comfortable, when I've got more time. He says, no, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. When you walk away from my word, you open yourself up to give in to lies, to idolatry, to things that ought not happen for a child of God. And he gave them covenant reminders even of this. And they abused those. What were the covenant reminders? He says, I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Nazarites were to be basically living examples of the holiness of God. They weren't to have their hair cut, they weren't to drink wine, and they weren't to touch dead bodies. And what does he say happened to these visible covenant blessings in the society of God's people? In Israel, he says that they gave the Nazarites wine to drink, they forced them to drink wine, breaking their holy vow, and they said to the prophets, and the language here actually in English is not strong enough. It's actually the same word if you go back to Exodus where God gave the law to his people when he said, thou shalt not, it's that kind of language here. The people invoked the language of God and said to the prophets, thou shalt not speak. It was significant. They were saying, we don't want to hear from God. We would rather not hear that. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear what you have to say. This is the holy, holy, holy God they're talking about. We don't want his words. Isaiah chapter 30, if you still have your Bible open, Isaiah 30, beginning in verse 8. Now go, write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. We'd rather you lie to us than tell us the word of God. We'd rather you tell us things that are good for our our feelings than telling us the truth about standing before a holy God. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4, Paul telling Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. He says to Timothy, these are his dying words. Paul knows he's about to die. He knows he's going to be executed for the sake of Christ. And he says to Timothy, preach the word. Tell my people my word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, false teachers. Just as in these days of Amos, just as in Israel, they will heap up for themselves false teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
Praise the Lord for his word. Praise the Lord for people who will proclaim his word. And I appreciate very much your prayers for your pastor. Please don't stop. Pray for our denomination. Pray for God's people that we would fearlessly tell the truth, even if it's not popular, even when you get upset about it. Even when you don't like what you hear on Sunday. Well, I don't like that sermon. I don't like that preacher. Even when you don't like it, you need to hear it. He says to Timothy, Paul says to him, you need to preach the word even if they throw you out. You need to preach the word even when they don't want to hear it. You need to preach the word even if it upsets and angers people. You cannot shift because of the frowns or the smiles of men and women. Because you preach before the living God. That's what he was telling them. So lastly, first we saw sins against grace. Then we saw their abuse of grace. Lastly, God's judgment pronounced. And this explanation of judgment is longer than all the others. God's strictest punishments are reserved for his people. And notice he's not calling forward the elders of the people of Israel. He's calling the people of Israel to him. Everyone has covenant responsibility before the living God. You've heard the word that says, not many of you shall be teachers, for you will incur stricter judgment. It doesn't say if you're not a teacher, you won't incur judgment. So you can say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm out of this. I'm not responsible for that. We don't live or die to ourselves. We absolutely are all responsible for our covenant vows before God. He says, God himself will punish you. As a cart of sheaves is weighed down, so I will weigh you down. You have run, you have wandered, you've run to idols, you've even brought them into my holy assembly, and I will bear it no more. I will weigh you down in your steps. I will stop you in your tracks. He's using farming imagery. Remember, Amos is not an ivory tower prophet. Amos was a tree farmer and a sheep herder. And this makes perfect sense. I will weigh you down in the field right where you stand. Just as a cart is full of sheaves, can't move. He says, your strengths and your skills, your mighty men, the bravest among you, will run that day. And when he says they will flee naked, he means they will take off their outer garment and they will run. It doesn't mean complete nakedness. What he's saying is, it's shameful that this would happen. And it's going to happen to my people because you would not listen. I gave you grace upon grace upon grace and you squandered it. You did not listen. And my patience has run out. I must punish you. He's promising them there will be military conquest. It will happen. 2 Kings chapter 15 and 2 Kings chapter 17 chronicle what happened to God's people. Nebuchadnezzar came and he raised Jerusalem to the ground. These prophecies have already happened. And I wasn't going to say this, but I think it's important to remember as you think about looking at the news and reading your Bible, as you think about the nation of Israel, do not so quickly say God is judging them. What about our sins? These prophecies already happened. They already took place. The coming judgment that God was bringing was not simply to wipe them off the map, to take them out of the face of the earth, but to purge those who were not really true Israel. Romans chapter 9 verse 6, not all of Israel is Israel. He says that. Not everyone who is of the seed of Abraham is in Abraham's family. 
but also to put true Israel through the refiner's fire, that what needed to be burned away would be, that what is spiritual and lively and eternal might remain. There may be a time of purging for the church of the living God yet again. The question that I think we should ask ourselves as we look at this passage of Scripture, there should be weeping in our souls. They soiled their garments. Covenant righteousness that they had been robed in, they soiled it for money and mistreating each other and general perversion of every kind. They couldn't condemn the nations. I wonder if that's what you think our place is as the church. We should be condemning the culture, those sinners. I don't think you can do that if your heart breaks over your own sin. When you see in yourself the very same things that you would condemn in others. And maybe you do that to try to get the monkey off your back because your conscience has pricked you about you. And I'd rather deflect and be angry at them than fall on my knees in repentance before the living God. And God says, I will not have it. A day is coming. Judgment is coming. The question in this book is, are you real? Do you know the Lord? And I ask you this morning, in all kindness and love as your pastor, do you know the Lord? I'm not asking if we looked in the membership list this morning and put it up on a screen. Is your name on the list? I'm asking you, do you know the Lord? And are you walking with Him? And if you're not walking with Him, then are you under the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. And if you are, repent. Repent. John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people laughed at him. And what did they do to the last prophet of the Old Testament era? They cut his head off for sport. Galatians chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from the age of the sins of Adam and Eve, our covenant heads. And Jesus Christ was raised up as our covenant head in their place. You have been set free if you belong to God. Live like it. Obey His word. Walk in His ways. And I end with two verses from Psalm 22. A posterity shall serve Him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He has done this. God will raise up people to honor Him and worship Him and proclaim His glory. Will you be one of them? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that we may read your word and understand it. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of your people. May this not be just a simple Sunday go to meeting Sunday where we go in and sing nice songs and hear a nice sermon and go home and have a nice lunch and are unchanged. Move in the hearts of your people. By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's respond to God's word together by standing and singing hymn number 523, My Hope is in the Lord.
heaven we thank you for being able to take part in giving of our tithes and our offerings in this service of worship today we thank you lord that in your wisdom you call us to do this that our hearts might not be tethered to the things of this world but that we might look to you and seek first your kingdom we pray that you would add your blessing to our tithes and offerings that they might go forward to accomplish all that you desire that the name of jesus might be proclaimed in jesus name i pray amen Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. 